Welcome to Bovine Banner with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team. I'm Amber Yutze, and I'm a dairy educator based in Huntington County, PA. Joining us today is John Tyson. Thank you for your time, John. You're welcome. Could, could you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do as an ag engineer with the Penn State Extension Dairy Team? All right. Well, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I'm John Tyson. Live down here in Juniata County in Central PA, and as an ag engineer. What I work with mostly is dairy housing design and management, and that would cover things from ventilation, as we're talking about today, with heat abatement to stall design, feed, feeding systems, uh, manure management. So all the facilities that uh, would be related to dairy housing and dairy housing management. Great. Sounds like you have a really interesting job some days. No two days are the same. <laughs> So can you tell us why heat abatement is important for cow comfort and how that relates to production in the bottom line for a farm? Well, the first thing I always tell folks about heat abatement is we have to remember that the average dairy cow is not really meant to live in a hot climate. So her thermal neutral zone is below 70 degrees. And here in Pennsylvania and most of the Northeast, actually most of the U.S., there is a considerable amount of time that we spend above that 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's why we talk about heat abatement. And on, it tends to hit the most productive cows first. And it makes logical sense that it does because those cows that are making the most milk are typically have the highest dry matter intakes. They're working the hardest. So the harder we work that digestive system, that rumen is making a tremendous amount of metabolic heat. So what happens first when that animal starts to get hot is she's going to back off a feed and production's going to drop. Probably that's the first thing we see is loss in milk from heat, heat stress. Other things may or may not be actually as important or maybe even more important to the longevity of the dairy herd and the profitability. And that is the breeding goes down. Other health factors come into to play, the health, overall health of the herd. One big example is foot health. We routinely see after major heat events in the summer, that fall, we will have more sore feet, more lameness, more issues health-wise. So it, it's not just a day or two of hot weather, the milk production goes down. It can last for months thereafter. So that's really why we have to address heat abatement is it's, it's a major production and health issue of the dairy herd. And I know working with milk quality, many farmers always see their somatic cell count go up at the end of the summer and into the early fall. And it comes from heat stress. And many producers don't realize that the stress on the cow and the decreased immune system causes her to get mastitis as the summer goes on. Right. That, that heat stress reaction you know, compromises the immune system. And we see it in somatic cells. We see it in breeding. Um, and those are the long-term effects, not just that couple of pounds of milk you lose, but yet last for months thereafter. Yeah, it's something you're combating even through the fall when it's not hot anymore. Right. So over the last couple of years, farmers have been working under tight margins with limited resources. So where would you recommend they focus in their farm to maximize cow comfort related to heat stress and to see the most return on their investment? Well, we use a simple acronym to talk about heat stress, and, and that is SAW, S-A-A-W. Uh, and what that stands for is shade, air, velo air exchange, and air velocity, and then water. 
Um, so we kind of combat heat stress in that, in that order. First of all, we look for shade, you know, we remove the solar load from the hot sun and in most confinement housing, that's really the purpose of the shelter is that extreme weather event, which is hot weather or sun. Um, so that kind of automatically gets taken care of. Now, if you're a pasture herd or organic herd that needs to have pasture access, you know, kind of think about when the cows are going to go outside. You know, if they go out in the evening after the heat of the day, that helps or have some type of shade structures in the pastures. Then we focus on the air part, the air exchange and air velocity. Uh, and really, I tell people you got to focus on air exchange. We need fresh air in the barn, stale air out of the barn. In naturally ventilated barns, that's removing sidewalls, maximizing openings in the sidewalls, the end walls, having a good ridge vent, those type of things. Then we look at air velocity, which is typically now when we start installing some type of fan, whether it's a circulation fan, HVLS system, you know, high volume, low speed fans, something to increase the air velocity at the animal level. And then finally, water is, you know, the misters, the sprinklers, those type of things to combat um, heat. So if you look at a tight budget, you can, you know, whether it's a restricted budget of finances or a restricted budget of amperage from the electrical side or water availability, you know, kind of address things in that order where we look at getting shade first. Once we do that, then move on to air exchange and air velocity and finally onto water and keep it in that order. And that's kind of the way the bottle, you know, if you look at it as a bottleneck, we eliminate one bottleneck after another to get to the end. If you're really looking at limited resources of, you know, I can only buy three fans or I only have enough electric for three fans, focus those fan capacity where the cows are spending a lot of their time. So from that standpoint, I usually say, all right, we're gonna address the stalls first particularly in layouts that have head-to-head -head stalls where we've concentrated the animals, you know, because we want them to lie in those stalls better than 12 hours a day, you know, make that the most comfortable place, increase the airspeed, increase the air exchange where those animals are. The other common place to look with limited resources is places where we force animals or we require animals to stand for periods of time. So the holding area, the parlor, um, while they may only spend three hours a day in the holding area or their parlor, those are very congested. You know, we only give them 15 square feet. We have them packed in there for handling um, purposes. The, the amount of heat that accumulates is very, very quick. And one thing we have to remember, particularly when it comes to pregnancy, is the cow only has to raise her body temperature a few degrees for a very short amount of time to have embryonic death loss. So that pregnancy is going to, she may have conceived when you bred her, but she's not pregnant when the vet checks her because she's lost that embryo. And a few degrees will cause her that embryo to, to die. So, you know, an hour in the holding area where she raises her body temperature by two or three degrees could cause you to lose a pregnancy. So those are very confined areas, doesn't take a lot of fan power, doesn't take a lot of water nozzles, doesn't take a lot of water volume to concentrate on things like the holding area or exit lanes. Um, and then once they return to the barn, if they spread out, we can keep them cool between milking. So I guess I would say I would focus on where the animals lie down and where they would get concentrated for some purpose, the holding area being the prime example.
And my next question, you sort of just answered when you're looking at basic principles and rules of thumb. So if somebody's building a new facility, what basic principles, rules of thumb would, should they keep in mind? And then also if they're looking at updating an existing facility, which is probably a lot more common. Yeah. Looking at the newer facilities is a little easier. The ones we're planning and constructing, you know, we can make a lot of changes on paper that don't cost any money. So often we, when we're looking at new facilities, we can address some of those air exchange principles right up front. Um, What increases air exchange if it's going to be naturally ventilated, which is typical here in the Northeast, is maximizing those sidewall openings, maximizing exposure to winds um, and proper orientation to prevailing winds. Those are things we can change on paper. We can change during construction. Um, so it's, it's worth investing a few more dollars in a taller building to get more open sidewalls. Uh, it's worth investing money in excavation to, re, to move trees back, to get more open, uh, move away from existing buildings uh, during construction or during planning so we can maximize that amount of ventilation potential we can get. That's really the focus for newer buildings. And of course, you also have to focus on things during construction of how much electric is it going to require. So we talk about fan placement, number of fans and amperage and those type things so that we know what to put in the budget for, for amperage draw. You spend half a million dollars on a new barn and then find out that, you know, for, you should have spent another 10 or 50 grand, another 50 grand to bring in electric. Uh, and it would have been cheaper to do during construction when all the trades were there than two years later when you have to bring everybody back in again. Existing buildings are a little tougher. We still, those same rules apply of maximizing sidewall opening, but you know, the things when you're looking at a building, is there potential to open more sidewall? Can we remove obstructions? Are there, is there metal on the side, the screen? Can we go to a finer bird wire and remove some snow fence? Are there other obstructions that could be removed? Is there a, you know, a little garage that is no longer used that wouldn't really affect the farm if we tore that down to expose sidewall opening? So in existing buildings, we're just trying to find more ways to ventilate it uh, and open that level up at, at, at animal level. Yeah, I think that's about all on existing buildings. Existing buildings definitely are far more of a struggle. So I know you do a lot of farm visits and helping producers lay out facilities and make those changes to help combat heat abatement. So when you walk into a dairy facility for the first time, what are the first things that you observe and why do you take note of them? Well, I think as I alluded to, you know, if it's a heat abatement is what we're looking at and identified that as being an issue. Some of the first things I'm looking at as I walk through the building are what are the wall openings the ridge openings and evaluating them. Can they be made larger? I'm also looking to see if there's already fans in use. You know, have we placed fans at a close enough interval? Can we add more fans in between to increase air speed? And what are the conditions of those fans? Another thing I, I think we are guilty of in the dairy industry when it comes to is maintenance. Um, fans really need to be maintained at a very minimum on an annual basis, and probably we should think at least semi-annually, once during the summer, we're going to clean these fans. 
And it doesn't need to be that they need to be removed and power washed, but maybe even as simple as a big broom to broom off the dust that accumulates from, you know, bedding or feed dust and those type things. But at least once a year in the spring, preferably before this point in time, that should have been something we were doing in March <laughs> uh, in preparation for warm weather. But those are the things I'm looking for as I visit down through the barn is just to see what the infrastructure is and what the potential is to maximize that air exchange and air velocity at animal level. And it's amazing how much dirt those fans accumulate over a year. They hang there and probably the, the biggest thing that gets them is during the summer, they may not accumulate a lot of dirt, but they're not going to be used for six months out of the year. Um, and depending on what your bedding is and the wintertime conditions, they can get moist. That moist surface collects the dust from bedding or feed or, and, uh, you know, uh, from an efficiency standpoint, that electric motor is going to burn the same amount of electric, whether it's clean or dirty, but you may see anywhere from a 30 to 50% reduction in air movement. So you're spending the same amount of money to get half the result with a dirty fan. So it, it makes good economic sense to clean those fans. On top of that, you're going to get longer life out of that motor when it is clean, then it's not going to overheat. If it, it's going to overheat a lot faster if it's covered with an inch of crud <laughs> than if it's open. Absolutely. So I'm sure there's a lot of producers listening to us that think I could really use some help in figuring out where I could make improvements in my farm. So of those producers, where would you recommend they start to gather information to make improvements? Well, I think over the years at Extension, we've done a pretty good job of making a lot of publications with some of these basics in. So if you have internet access, the you know Penn State Extension webpage, you start doing a search for heat abatement or ventilation, dairy, you'll find a lot of articles. The one article I pulled up this morning for this was talk was, you know, heat abatement on a budget. I wrote that last summer that addresses some of the points you were asking of where to focus your money at. So yeah, there's lots of information out there on extension web pages. I think everybody in, is kind of in agreement, you know, nothing magical about the attack that I'm taking of, of air exchange and air velocity. Everybody's kind of after the same things. So I would say the extension websites, a lot of the information I use and put out there, I even go to like extension places. You know, I, I think of Pennsylvania having more heat stress, kind of like Florida, Georgia, uh, and use examples of what's going on in those conditions. We don't have the weather of Arizona. It's not a hundred degrees and 5% humidity. We're fighting heat and humidity. So, you know, look for examples from the Midwest and from Florida, not from a climate that's completely different than what we're combating. So farmers are known to be innovative, which you know, and I always like to go on to farms and I call them farmer hacks, you know, ways that they have um, found to make life more useful on a budget and more cost effective. So what are some things that you've seen farmers come up with that are creative or cost effective solutions that they've implemented on farms that you think other people should know about or could be implemented pretty easily in other farms? I, I would say most of the, the cost cutting is probably around that issue of, of evaporative cooling. Some things we've seen low cost, you know, cobbled together 
sprinkler systems on holding areas and exit lanes where rather than spend money on any kind of controllers or timers, it's simply a, you know, a ball valve that they flip on when they hit the exit button, let it run for a couple of minutes, turn it off to soak cows as they leave, or even to the point of every so often you walk to the end of the the pit and you hose the cows down in the parlor with a garden hose by spraying it out over top of the, the, the holding area, you know, real cheap shade claws for heifers on pastures that are, you know, made of a, a, some old water pipe and a tarp or a shade cloth, or maybe in the days when two by fours were cheap, maybe not this summer of a couple of cheap two by fours and some shade cloth, but you know, there's usually some used lumber laying around or something like that to build some shade cloth over calf pens or heifer bar or heifer lots um, that give at least some reprieve to heat during the, the summer. Not a lot of cheap ways to attack the ventilation part of fans. Unfortunately, it, when it comes to the fan or, or the fan world, you kind of get what you pay for. So sometimes those cheap fans don't have the longevity nor the efficiency. But you know that if you're on a very tight, limited budget, and you know this is what I got to do for the summer, you know we can look for used fans or very cheap, inexpensive fans. But uh, I would say most of the hacks I've seen has been around spreading water. Whether it's you know sending the kids out there a couple times a day with a, a garden hose to hose down the cows while they're at the bunk or those type things might be labor intensive but not capital intensive. And I know we were on a farm recently looking at milk quality, and he had made his own sprinkler system just using sprayer heads and a timer that he had ordered off Amazon and some cheap tubing. So. He said right. he had less than $250 on his whole sprinkler system to do his entire feed alley. Right. Yeah, usually sprinkler systems aren't that expensive. Like you say, the sprayer nozzles are, you know, a couple dollars a piece and the piping, other than that, you know, all the parts are commercially available. It's mostly just getting them all assembled and glued together. The expensive part becomes the fans and the electrical wiring, which unfortunately there's not really a good way to cheapen that up. Mm-hmm. I think one thing too, is really important. We're talking about keeping them cool, but also keeping them hydrated, you know, nice right. cold water, always available to cows, especially calves and heifers really helps to keep them cooled off too. If they can, they're going to drink a lot more water when they're hot. Right. A very good point that I, I didn't even think of that they, you know, one of those cheap hacks might be a, a bathtub and a garden hose um, just to add some more drinking water let the cows combat their own heat by drinking more. And we've also seen that when cows leave parlors, just having that, that water available in an, in an exit alleyway or soon after the alleyway, because they drink a lot more after standing in the holding area and being hot and coming through the parlor. Right. Right. And I mean, it's a good time of year that you can keep things cheap by a tub and a garden hose. Cause you don't have to worry about that water freezing. As long as you remember to roll it up before December. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. So if somebody asked you one take-home message, so what would your one take-home message be for producers to keep in mind when they're looking at keeping cows comfortable this summer? I think my take-home message would be, you know, go back and start with those basics. Remember the S-A-A-W and attack it that way. Shade, air exchange, air velocity, and water. Drinking water and evaporative water, as you've mentioned. Start that way, 
and look for the bottleneck. Which one are you missing? Is it the shade that's missing from your herd? Is it the air exchange or the air velocity? And, you know, you've got to find out which one's the worst and then address that one because, you know, you could have great air velocity, but if you're not exchanging the air, you're not going to help anything. You know, if it's just sealed box with a lot of fans in it, it's still going to be very hot, very humid, very wet and very uncomfortable. So address the limiter first. So I'd say if you're going to start, start with the basics, work your way, work your way up. Great. The other thing I would say is take home is I wanted to add this in there is to start heat abatement earlier than some folks do. Um, We really should be thinking about starting fans, opening barns up when it's 60 degrees outside, not waiting till it's 70. We kind of have to be ahead of the curve and be proactive, not reactive. So in the mid sixties, the barn should be opened up. Some fans should be running, uh, you know, increase the air exchange and air velocity at that point. While we talk about cows being hot over 70 degrees, they actually would prefer to be at 50 degrees. So even at the low sixties, they're beginning to see particularly high producing cows. You will start to see some effects in the 60 degree range. So we want to be proactive, not reactive. Don't wait for the Bach tank to go down, you know, start the fan, start heat abatement. You know, when we as humans think it's still a really nice, cool day, <laughs> the cows are starting to get hot. Um, and that's kind of a, pet peeve of mine at some newer facilities that they have the abilities built into the system to keep the barn much cooler and don't open curtains and don't start fans until it's starting to get it's already the some of the early effects are taking place so get ahead of the curve yeah i know the last podcast i went to record I thought it was still pretty cool out. I was wearing a light jacket that morning and I come into the barn and he had all of his fans on because we had to turn them off to record the podcast. (laughs) Yep. Yep. You got to remember the perfect, the, what we think is the ideal temperature for cows is about 50 degrees, which many of us are still wearing a sweatshirt or a jacket at that point in time when a cow is really in her prime, you know, more the temperatures of March than uh, than now well thank you john for taking time this morning to talk with us and uh, help us learn ways that we can reduce heat stress on our cows and thank you to all of our listeners for joining us each week don't forget to tune in on june 29th where extension veterinarian adrian berrigan talks with blake henry about ways he reduces heat stress on his farm thank you thank you